0: Welcome to the Creating Queensland podcast. Today I'm speaking with the Councillor of the Gab Award here in Brisbane, Jonathan Shui. Jonathan is the first Greens Councillor in Queensland, is an active advocate for change and on top of his political and community achievements, he is a saxophonist and vocalist in The Mouldy Lovers. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me on.
0: So, so what do you do day to day as a councillor?
1: Good question. So life as a city councillor is very, very varied. I get along to a lot of community meetings and events. Um, a lot of my time at the moment in the city is taken up with traffic and parking issues. So people who are requesting changes to rules around street parking or pushing for upgrades to intersections and bike lanes and pedestrian crossings and traffic calming, all that sort of stuff. Um, we also spend quite a bit of time responding to development applications and providing advice to residents about how they can put in submissions on DAs. Okay. Um, and and then a whole bunch of, like, little things. Like, it's, it's quite varied in terms of maybe people present with having trouble finding a house or homelessness issues. People want funding and support for community events. We loan out a lot of gear for various events. And um, so, yeah, all sorts of stuff.
0: No, that sounds like a very big, varied day. Do you find it exciting to have a lot of these different projects but also do you find it hard then to focus on one project at a time? That's
1: exactly the difficulty is that I represent 50,000 residents and it's quite a big ward or there's a lot going on and so that means that my time gets spread too thin and so there are a few particular issues that I'm really passionate about like housing affordability and resisting gentrification and local democracy and sometimes you just don't have enough time to do all the things you want because you get sucked into dealing with noise complaints or barking dogs or stuff like that yep. so yeah so how
0: have you mentally been able to overcome that because i know that that would personally stress me out if there's so many things yeah. i want to do and not having the time to do it and
1: actually what we've had to do is rely heavily on volunteers for some of the community programs and and community organizing we want to do and we've also had to be a little bit ruthless with residents where they might make a request and we sometimes just have to say sorry we agree that that's important but it's not as high a priority as some of this other stuff And so particularly with, say, we get a lot of complaints about parking and we'll say, yeah, it sucks. But right now our priority is to get more public transport. So that's what we're going to focus our energy on. And your request for these parking changes might just have to wait a few weeks. And so, yeah, just, I guess, prioritizing aggressively and trying to focus on the bigger structural change rather than getting really bogged down in minor incremental stuff has been important. No,
0: that's awesome. Mm. That is awesome. Okay, so... How did you even fall into this? I don't think this is a path or a career choice that most people would take. So (laughs) take us back as far as you want, but what was your path?
1: Yeah, so I mean, have been interested in politics for for a while in terms of um, anti-racism work and Aboriginal rights and refugee rights. Um, And yeah, I guess I've been sort of a bit of an activist since way back and a few years ago, recognised that the the rallies in the street and, and the sort of direct action stuff works and is important, but that we also need some level of, Structural power within the political establishment. And at the time, and still, there's a big gap where I think, in general, the city and the citizenry is much more progressive and open minded than their political representatives. The political system tends to lag behind. So we thought it was useful to get some, I guess, more radical or progressive people elected. And um, I started getting particularly interested in local council because of the negative impacts of gentrification that I was witnessing in suburbs like West End.
0: How long ago was this? This
1: was sort of started in kind of 2012, 2013, where we noticed area becomes trendy, rapid increase in rents. Myself as a musician, a lot of our musician and artist friends suddenly found our rents rising really quickly and we were all getting priced out of the neighbourhood. And not only that, we couldn't, not only could we not afford to live there, but we couldn't find rehearsal spaces. A lot of the venues were getting closed down because their rents were rising as well. Um, And it really felt like, basically the property industry was making a lot of money out of suburbs like West End and really commodifying and profiting from the community. But all these people who'd put so much time and energy into making the area cool weren't reaping the benefits of that. So we do all this volunteer labor of putting on community festivals and bringing people together and making, you know, community gardens, making the streets look nice. And then suddenly we can't afford to live there. So Mm -hmm. for me, thinking then about how um, capitalism influences the local political system and changes the shape of the city was really important and what we recognize is that in brisbane as with a lot of big cities residents actually have very very little control over those big changes that affect their daily lives so we don't get consulted meaningfully we might get surveyed or a tokenistic form of consultation but it's mm-hmm. never fairly robust or democratic um, and the really big decisions like do we want to transform 12 hectares of the Brisbane Riverfront into a massive casino? Those questions are never really put to ordinary people. So we get we might get heavily consulted about whether a speed bump gets installed on our street, but we never get consulted about meaningfully about the big high-rise or that transformative infrastructure project. So a core interest of mine was around how can we give residents more control and power over their local community and what does that look like in practice? How can we design democratic processes that are accessible and um and robust and still efficient and that's been an interesting challenge
0: yeah obviously a popular one given you've been chosen to speak yeah. for the people
1: yeah it definitely resonated with people and it's been funny because like it's not just people who are sort of greens leaning but everyone wants that wants more influence and wants to have a meaningful say and people really feel like they don't have that at the moment
0: yeah okay so let's go to maybe your biggest challenge through your career. Mm. Could have been recent, could have been older. What's what's been your sort of biggest low? What what's hurt the most?
1: I, th- I think probably one thing that I really struggled with is this sense that I'm held to a higher standard because I'm a person of color. So mm-hmm. actually, it's quite often for that politicians, particularly Greens politicians, will hold protests or support protests, and like like Bob Brown, a lot of those big Greens MPs. They've been arrested before. I've never actually been arrested, but somehow I'm perceived as the troublemaker or the shit stirrer. And I think it it partly is just because people of colour in Australia are still expected to be very respectable and not make waves and don't make a fuss. And so when someone starts to push even a little bit against that norm, um, suddenly, oh, he's controversial. He's stirring up trouble. When actually I've, I've never been arrested or charged with any offences. I'm gen- generally quite, I guess, work with the community rather than trying to cause adversity. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that I feel like in that respect, I'm scrutinized more heavily than a lot of other politicians. Um, and that probably flows through to people like being more preoccupied with, oh, he's not dressing s- smartly enough or oh, he's, you know, going to gigs on a Friday night instead of going to this fancy developer fundraiser. Like there's definitely a sense of um, the stuff that, normally people see as a bit wacky about the Greens is all amplified because I in particular don't look like a standard politician. So that's, I think, been interesting and challenging to navigate. And we cop from time to time, a lot of racism, particularly via the private inbox. Um, It's
0: crazy. Yeah, I can't believe that's around anymore. Like it's just, it blows my mind. Like I know it's there. I'm not ignorant to that, but I just, I can't believe they would voice it to you rather than keeping it internal. Yeah. it's, It's kind
1: of like, I I was elected by people particularly because I wanted to change things and because I said, look, there are some problems, we need to change them. But then as soon as a um, person of sort of migrant ancestry steps up and says, we need to change things, people are like, oh, well, if you want to change it, why don't you go back to where you came from kind of thing, even though I was born in Brisbane and grew up in Chermside and, like, this is definitely the only home I've ever known. So it feels a bit weird that I'm not allowed to say... Well, maybe things could be better without people taking offense to that.
0: So I guess it's one of those things where there's always going to be people that love you, some people that like you, and some people are just going to not like you no Mm. matter what you do. And they're just picking on the easiest thing that they can. Yeah, exactly. Just something that's different about you. Definitely. That's different to them.
1: And I think like radical change can be scary to some people and can make people feel uncomfortable. But I think actually it's a mistake to try and please absolutely everyone. You want to make sure you're doing things democratically and that you have the majority on board. But... You don't want to be hijacked by a vocal minority and particularly I see that with transport planning where most people in the inner city see and understand that the future is around public transport and active transport, walk-in, bike lanes, high-frequency buses, et cetera. Um, and there's this vocal minority of people who are like, cars are the most important thing, you need to be widening roads, you need to be given a small parking. And anyone with a town planning background or a traffic planning background or an architecture background can see that that's crazy. But most of the politicians, most of the city councillors, still listen too much to that very vocal minority and they make up their policies and decisions based on this sort of perceived need to prioritise cars when actually the only way we're going to sh- solve Brisbane's traffic congestion and transport issues is by shifting to active transport. So Definitely. even a, what I think should be a straightforward and common sense reform like lowering speed limits to say 30 or 40 Ks in inner city areas, that's seen as radical and controversial, whereas lots of other cities around the world have already done that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, we're definitely a city of convenience and being a town planner, I see that all the time. Or mm. we do four years of university, <laughs> basically learning all this theory, looking at other cities mm. about how, you know, ways to deter people from actually having car parking, therefore mm. they're deterred from driving and therefore public transport gets better because it's being used mm. and paid for. Um, but then, yeah. Here, you, there are you, minimum you parking requirements yeah, in the development. You have to have as many car parks as you can, yeah. otherwise the development won't go ahead. It yeah. could be the perfect development, but it might be one car short and you will... <laughs> you know it's It's really
1: frustrating and i i I goes hand with hand hand in hand with the lack of public transport infrastructure though because if you're going to reduce car parking and reduce vehicle access you do need to make sure there are alternatives there um and that's the gap at the moment where even in places like sort of the middle of highgate hill and east brisbane and kangaroo point these are inner city areas a few k from the cbd but they still don't have high frequency public transport Mm -hmm. coverage and so it's all well and good to say oh to residents, we're going to take away some of your street parking, or these newer developments—they're not going to have that included in them. I think that makes sense, but you also need to make sure those alternatives are there.
0: Definitely, mm. you don't want to isolate people. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about your biggest challenge. What about your biggest win? Maybe mm. other than winning your seat. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think I think the biggest win has actually been this small thing. Like it feels—I think it feels big, even though on paper maybe it looks small—is changing people's expectations and cultural norms about. How a political representative should act. Okay. Um, that rather than just making decisions unilaterally behind closed doors, I try to be quite transparent and let people know via social media and emails, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you guys think? And particularly with say design and consultation around how public spaces are used and and design, I I try to really decentralize that decision making process. So we've had a few participatory budgeting and community voting processes where mm we actually say, look, here's how much money we've got for this park. How about you guys as residents tell us exactly what you want and um, you can vote for it and you can have the final say and that's quite different to what a lot of councillors do where they just say, tell us what you want and then I'll make the final decision because it still ends up disempowering residents and um, their local really specific knowledge of how they use that space gets ignored and, and, and that knowledge isn't lost. So I think that for me has been a big win where we've, showing people a different way of making decisions and that a different kind of local governance is possible and that seems to now be seeping out beyond the boundaries of the Gab Award where people from all over the city are saying oh it doesn't have to be like this we could have a political system that's more responsive to our needs and demands Um, and now they're saying well why don't we have that that's getting them more active and engaged.
0: Yeah so it's definitely good I've I've been following your Facebook account Mm. and I love the fact that not you know, it's not people just writing to you saying, Wow, all your ideas are great. <laughs> Sometimes they will yeah, sit there really good and be yeah, they will definitely debate you and tell you to your face, you mm. are wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is why. And I like that you then engage in that, you don't just ignore it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's definitely becoming more of a, a common standard. People are expecting that now from other people. That's and, it. You know, maybe even private business, everything. It's just, you know, I have the right to debate your mm. ideas. Yeah. And the ability to change your mind yeah it's not just a case of me being like this is what i think mm. with no reason and you're <laughs> yeah. going oh i'm just going to go behind my clothes door and do a- make a decision exactly. you actually engage in it
1: and i think i take it as a compliment that people are willing to spend that time trying to engage with me because even me when i'm frustrated with what another politician's doing i don't even bother posting on their facebook no. wall or writing to <laughs> them because i don't expect them to respond so mm-hmm. the fact that people actually take the time to reach out to me shows that they have some faith that I'm willing to engage in dialogue. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. So I'm going to ask a question and I'm not sure how you want to answer it. Um, but I guess being Greens and the, the things that you are advocating for, mm. some people might say that you're anti-development. Mm. What would you say to that?
1: I definitely don't think I'm anti-development. I, th- But I think it's fair to say that I'm really concerned about how profit-oriented a lot of development in Brisbane is at the moment. So what we see is that design decisions are often driven by not the experience of the end user resident who the people who are actually going to live there but by what's going to make the most profit and sell the most apartments in the short term so when the market is primarily driven by investors all they really care about is like okay how many car parks how many bathrooms how close to the city is it and they look at those things on paper and they don't really look in detail at, okay has this apartment been designed with passive cooling is there a good activated streetscape what's like natural light and ventilation, all that sort of stuff that has a huge impact on how residents ultimately live but Mm -hmm. maybe gets sidelined because of the way the market works at the moment. And I guess flowing on from that is this concern that simply increasing the supply of private apartments doesn't necessarily improve affordability for the people at the bottom end of the economic pyramid. And that's a bit kind of counter-doctrinal for a lot of people. They're like, of course, if you build more apartments, they'll get cheaper. But actually what we've seen in, in Queensland over the last 20 years is that the construction of private dwellings has rapidly outpaced population growth. So we're building houses and apartments much faster than the population is growing, and yet they're still getting more expensive. So it's not just a question of supply and demand. It's the fact that some investors are leaving apartments empty or renting them out on Airbnb rather than to local families. It's that... um, renters are being forced into bidding wars and that prices are fluctuating dramatically. So some years they're stagnant and barely, your rent doesn't change for a couple of years and then suddenly it shoots up again. Um, So there are all these problems with leaving housing exclusively to the free market. Um, And I think really what we need in Brisbane is a big shift towards public housing and an increase in the supply of affordable community housing and public housing that's government funded rather than just leaving it all up to the private sector. So when I'm like take acceptance exception to certain big developments, it's not me saying that thing's terrible, it's all bad. I'm saying it could be better and we shouldn't have to settle for suboptimal just because people say, Oh, that's the best you can get. It's like, no, what we can have better. Why why should we demand less?
0: Okay. So your preferred solution would be a more private public sector? Yeah, Yeah. so there's
1: there's a lot of good models like inclusionary zoning where you say to developers, sure, you build your 100 apartments, but can you make sure that 10 of them are public housing and we want you to donate them back to mm-hmm. the government? And a developer will say, oh, that's not commercially viable. But if every developer is doing it and that becomes the norm, then you just factor it into your business model. And what that does is it means that those people on lower incomes aren't all concentrated in one area. You don't end up with an entire 500 dwelling complex of Um, high needs, mental health issues, drug substance abuse issues, all in the one place. Mm -hmm. You spread that around the city and you can build stronger, more stable communities as a result. They call it kind of the salt and pepper model of Mm -hmm. not having all the poor people in one area, not having all the rich people in another area. Um, And I think the same goes for different age demographics. I kind of think it's a, a bit weird and problematic that we build these whole towers of student housing where people never... Engage with anyone over the age of 25 and never talk to anyone under the age of 15 because everyone in that complex is students. And then we have retirement living over here and we have luxury high rise down by the river and then we have affordable public housing somewhere else. So we're segmenting our city demographically, which over time reinforces individualism and makes mm-hmm. it harder for people to connect outside their bubble. Everyone ends up in these echo chambers with, where they only know people who think like them and they lose the ability to think critically. And so the design of our cities and the way we group communities together can actually have some really corrosive effects on society if it's not done properly. So, yeah, for me, it's yeah, it's about saying, get the government to put in the money. If the government can build prisons, if they can build stadiums, then they can build housing. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year imprisoning people, um, and meanwhile doing very, very little about homelessness. So over, there's right now thirty thousand people on the public housing waiting list in Queensland. But the government has said they're only going to build 5,000 public housing dwellings over the next 10 years. So we have this urgent housing affordability and homelessness crisis right now. And the government's saying, sorry, we're only going to build 500 dwellings a year across all of Queensland. We have 30,000 empty homes in Brisbane right now, thousands of people sleeping on the street. So there's something wrong there and the government really needs to be stepping in rather than just saying, oh, private developers, they'll fix it all when they're mostly motivated by profit.
0: Do you think there's any um, capability of current legislation to be changed to improve the situation? Or do you think it's...
1: Yeah. So like little things like removing negative gearing and capital gains tax discounts would make a big difference. A lot of cities are now experimenting with vacancy taxes, where Mm -hmm. if investors leave apartments empty long term, maybe pay a bit more and that forces investors to either sell or rent them out. Um, I'm also really interested in a bit more into tweaks to the rental tenancies act to give renters more stability. Um, There's a lot of small legislative changes that other cities have already made and that Brisbane's kind of lagging behind. So none of the stuff that we're proposing is particularly new or controversial. It's just new to Brisbane. Um, So, yeah, I don't think it's like, I think the city has to densify. I think that's natural. We need to Mm -hmm. avoid suburban sprawl. We need to avoid tearing up farmland and bushland. So we have to accommodate people more densely in the inner city. But to me, that looks less like 15-storey high-rises and more like, Co-housing and granny flats and medium density townhouses and that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a natural human scale where you don't want buildings that are too much taller than the tree line or too much taller than that natural yeah. ridge line. There's
0: a lot of studies on that. Yeah,
1: so fitting in with kind of local geography um, and and recognizing that you can do density without necessarily going to super tall skyscrapers mm-hmm. where everyone's trapped in their own little concrete box. Yeah,
0: yeah. concrete boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, what I'd like to end on is, I guess, do you have advice for somebody who maybe wants to follow in your footsteps, who is totally inspired by the things you do Mm. day to day and maybe what they've heard on this podcast? What, what would you tell them to do if they're like,
1: um, definitely if you want, come and have a chat and volunteer through the office or get involved in some of the community projects that we're doing. So you can learn more about what it's like on the inside. Um, running as a counselor, isn't actually that hard to get into. There's a bit of a probably what you'd call a shallow talent pool where not many people really put their hand up to be local politicians um so it's actually not that hard to become a candidate and once if you're committed to it and you're willing to spend the time door knocking and talking to people it's actually possible to win as well um yeah. so yeah I, I i think for a lot of people politics is this weird far off thing that only rich people do and there's nothing no way you can get involved in that but actually There's a real surge at the moment of young people and marginalized groups getting more engaged with establishment politics. And I think there's value in that. And so rather than just feeling disempowered and being like, oh, the political system sucks. There's nothing we can do. We might as well step up and try to change it.
0: Yeah. Would you encourage people to get educated or just to talk to people? What do you think is the best way to get ready for it?
1: Read everything that comes. Like, um, I think follow what other councillors are doing but also check out movements like um, Barcelona at Commute so that's Barcelona in Commune Um, it's a big movement um, over in Barcelona in Spain that's sort of completely reshaped the way we think about local government that local government is not just about roads roads and, and rates and rubbish bins it's about how people engage with the local community and this idea of the right to the city. There's a lot of great literature around the right to the city. And there's a group in Brisbane called Right to the City Brisbane that talk a lot about gentrification and the policing of public space and how we can make cities more democratic and more sustainable, particularly in an era where the future is like, we've got climate change on the horizon, rising sea levels. We're likely to see hundreds of millions of climate refugees displaced across the world. So, the status quo is not going to suffice. We need to be able to accommodate thousands more refugees and we need to be ready for climate change and we still need to preserve a high quality of life. So inform yourselves about those issues and come and say hi if you want to have a chat.
0: Great, okay. And so the best way for people to contact you is either contact the ward or through your Facebook page? Yeah,
1: look, look us up online. The office number is 3403-2165. You can Google Jonathan's three and find all my contact details pretty easily.
0: Excellent, cool. Sweet. Thank Thanks. you so much.
1: Cheers to the chat.